This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. It is the Ramball Stew. It's Thursday. Steve Alexander here, as always, with Raphael Johnson. Today we have a very special guest and a good friend of mine, Bob Rathman. He's the television voice of the Atlanta Hawks, my Atlanta Hawks, your Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> and uh, Bob just got back from practice today, and he's going to join us to talk a little haw- Hawks and a little NBA basketball. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Doctor. It is nice to see you, Raphael. Nice to meet you. Great to be with Likewise. you guys. Yeah. Um, well, it's good to have you back. We had you on last year. It was really fun. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Kings game uh, that happened on Wednesday night when the Hawks were down 33-19. to 19. Things were looking a little dicey. And then all of a sudden, 46-17 to 17 in, the, in the second quarter, I believe, was the score. And the Hawks have now won five in a row. And they, it looks like a different team than we saw 10 days ago. I think we may look back to that Milwaukee game on MLK as the day it all turned around. Uh, The fourth quarter that they played in coming from behind to beat the team that knocked them out in the Eastern Conference uh, Finals last year, second time they've beaten Milwaukee in Atlanta this season, uh, was a huge game. And I just got the feeling, we didn't broadcast it was on TNT here, but um, just sitting in the arena, It was like somebody just released the pressure valve and they ended a 10 game home court losing streak. They played with great spirit. Uh, The defense was great in that fourth quarter. And then it carried over. Now the next game, Minnesota, you know, they were buried at halftime and that's the night Trey went nuts in the third quarter and scored 23, got that game turned around had a very tough game with Miami that they almost let slip away. And then I thought played their best defensive game of the season. And maybe in, you know, a long, maybe two years, certainly since Nate's taken over um, in winning at Charlotte and uh, to hold them to 91 at home after they scored 2000 last night in Indiana, (laughs) I thought was pretty significant. So you're right. In just a week's time, you just get the feeling like this is the Hawks that we all thought we would see. And I think one of the big reasons is a return to health. You know, they're arguably they're two of their three best defensive players are back Capella, Kangwu, and Hunter. And you get those guys on the court. I thought the trade of Cam, you know, nothing against Reddish at all, but it just sort of eased the log jam for wing playing time. Uh, Bogey seems to be content right now to be on the second unit. So, you know, I think they're primed to make a run. They got two winnable games this weekend with Boston and the Lakers. And, uh, you know, things are looking up, Doc. We're, we're back in the hunt here, brother. Well, so much so that I, I busted out the vintage oh, nice. sweatshirt for yeah. you today. And the Neek um, jersey behind you. And we got Neek, Neek all over the place. Um, yeah, and it, it felt like – did Nate – Nate picked up a technical foul at some point 
that that seemed to turn things around in that five game stretch. I'm not sure which game that was. And I don't know if the technical foul had anything to do with it, but it's, it's interesting as a Hawks fan, like Straup and I were so like, it was, they were becoming unwatchable towards the end of that losing streak. Like those Mm -hmm. last couple of games, they lost five in a row and, and they just weren't competing, but we had G league players out there and like all the all the guys that the Hawks need to be healthy were not out there, and it's easy to forget. You know, we're missing key pieces, and I, I keep saying we. I'm not part of the Hawks. The Hawks are missing key pieces. You could say we. It's okay. The, the Hawks are missing key pieces out there, and you can't get too wrapped up in in what these reserve players are doing, who are who are just trying to hold down the ship. Right. I think everything that could happen to a team happened to us in the first half. You know, um, COVID hit us hard. Um, we had to sign nine guys in a two-week road trip to 10-day contracts just to keep playing. Uh, we weren't lucky enough to have the COVID rules that were in effect for Chicago and Toronto and Cleveland and the teams that had a chance to postpone games. Uh, that wasn't our good fortune. Uh, we had to tr- soldier on. And so it was tough, and the injuries were real. You know, you lose a guy like Hunter, Kongwu, came back to us after shoulder surgery. So Capella was in and out of the lineup. Bogey got hurt a couple of times. I mean, and then everybody, every coach, uh, darn near every player uh, was in COVID protocol. So once we got out of all that and got Anyeka back and Hunter back, and now things are starting to turn around. So I think this is the team that everybody projected in the preseason to be maybe a threat to finish in the top four, certainly in the top six. And while sixth place is going to take a super red hot streak, um, I think making the play in tournament now is, is certainly within reach. Uh, You mentioned the wing rotation a little bit earlier in the trading of Cam Reddish. How much of a factor do you think that could potentially be for this group moving forward in terms of the clear definition of roles and and playing time? We've seen something similar with Memphis. You know, they trade time for Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain, Deanthony. Do you think something similar could happen to Hawks here? I think you nailed it, Raphael, because we got so used to playing without Reddish and Hunter last year. Um, When they came back, and it's – you know, it's kind of a good problem to have, you know, Mm -hmm. like they say in baseball, you can't have enough pitching, but in basketball, you got in the pro level, certainly you you get too many guys. Mm -hmm. There's only 240 minutes out there. And how are you going to divide it up? And Nate is old school, um, you know, has clearly defined uh, rotations that he wants for the starting unit and for the reserves um, you know, players 11 through 15 probably won't see the light of day unless somebody's hurt. Mm-hmm. So having Cam and having Hunter back, it was sort of a jigsaw puzzle. And I think you could read between the lines in the preseason with what Nate was saying that everybody's going to have to sacrifice. Everybody's going to have to, you know, fit in and you might not get the minutes or the points or whatever. And that's fine, but you got to remember, these are young guys still. (laughs) Not like a Laker team that has seen it all, done it all, 
and they're in their thirties and they can adjust and adapt. These are young guys that are still trying to make their mark. Now, a lot of them got paid, certainly, but a couple of them like Reddish and Hunter are looking to get paid. And so they see getting paid. I got a score. I've got to accumulate stats to get paid. So it Nate was in a kind of a tough spot. And I think what it did, and unbeknownst to all of us that Cam wanted out, uh, they did, they, his agent, uh, the team, I thought, did a remarkable job of keeping that under wraps uh, because that could really send you spiraling when the losing started. So uh, to your point, uh, you nailed it. I mean, it was we just had too many guys. And – you're not going to pay them all. Uh, we're kind of getting to that that edge right now. So with Cam gone, I don't know the, what the future holds for Kevin Knox, but you kind of loosen up that log jam on the wing, and I think the Hawks are better for it. Uh, it's just been a different ball club this last week. Now, does A equal B and B equal C? I'm not sure about that. Because Cam wasn't a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had his moments. But overall, there's just a better flow and a yeah. better um, – the roles that are so much more clearly defined now, I think. Bob, uh, you've, you've mentioned Akonwu's name several times on Yuki Akonwu. Oh, yeah. Um, when Capella was out, Akonwu stepped up and – and took over and was becoming a fantasy pickup, like a hot pickup uh, because of how well he was playing. Some of those dunks he had on Wednesday night were were amazing. His overall play, like you can tell, I can tell this kid is going to be a stud. Um, and we can't trade Clint Capella until after the season. Not that the Hawks are going to trade him, but with the Hawks, what do you think the situation is? Is Capella going to teach Chicago what he knows and and make him a better player, or do you kind of are we being robbed of seeing Chicago be able to do his thing full time? Yeah, no, I I tell you, uh, Doc, it's I think what we're seeing is a natural progression to where in time Chicago is going to take over. You got to remember, first of all, he's a kid. That's number one. Okay. And for all the guys in his draft class, right in the middle of the pandemic, their college season shut down. They had no summer. They weren't drafted till Thanksgiving. They end up on a new team. He gets no camp time because he had an injured foot coming out of USC that was still healing. So he's got no summer league, no training camp. And what we got from him when he started playing, he learned under the fire of an NBA game. And to do what he did in the playoffs was outrageous. I mean, he outplayed Dwight Howard, the two backup centers in that Philadelphia series. No question. And he was great. I mean, he held his own in the Milwaukee series. But he's young. So what happens next? Shoulder surgery. Wipes out another summer. Wipes out another summer league. Wipes out another training camp. So now he hasn't played a lot of basketball. So we throw him in, and now you see this. I thought he was the best big in the draft to begin with. But you're seeing now that he gets a little experience under his belt and gets in court shape. How many games has he played regular season in the NBA? Has he played 40, 50? 
somewhere I mean, in there. You know, I mean, he hasn't even played a full NBA season yet. So I don't think, Steve, we're ready quite to just say this is yours and get rid of Capella. I don't, I don't sense that at all. I mean, they just re-upped Clint. I think it gives them a great one-two punch, to be honest with you. You got 12 fouls and you got 24 minutes equally divided. I think that's a win-win for the Hawks. I don't think you have to pick one over the other. I think both of you give it, give uh, Nate different things. You know, mm-hmm. you get the experience, the shot blocking, uh, the defense, the rebounding with Capella versus uh, kind of a modern-day five in the NBA in a Kongwu who can finish and can run and can – I mean, do all – things that maybe Clint can't do at this stage of the game. So uh, I think you get the best because you know how the playoffs are. It's all matchups. And now you got a, you can, you got a tag team going in the middle. It's a versatility and matchup versatility just touched on because some nights Clint may be a better fit while others on Yucca could be a better fit. You know, and while that may be frustrating for those of us from a fantasy standpoint, when you're a coach like Nate McMillan, that's an incredible luxury to have. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, as, as such a premium that Nate places on defense and rebounding, mm-hmm. you know, this is right up his alley, you know, and, and he's loving what he's seeing out of a Congo. I'm telling we all are, uh, you know, he's just a, he's a wonderful kid. Um, but he just plays, you know. I, I get tickled at all the, well, he's undersized for a center. Well, bo- trust me. You don't want to deal with this cat. Uh, Wes Unseld was undersized. Dave Cowens was undersized. They did okay. Mm-hmm. I just think this kid's motor and the position he played, I mean, he just bring on. That's kind of his attitude. And it's so refreshing. Uh, he just wants to play. Um. You've mentioned uh, COVID and quarantine and and whatnot a few times. And I know that you yourself had to stay at home a few nights. And I I was telling, (laughs) I was telling Roth before we came on the air that had to just kill you. Right. Like how, how, how was that? So because we are, are tier one Mm -hmm. personnel, because we're on the charter with the team. We are subjected, we meaning the TV group and Steve Holman on radio and all the people that travel, we are subjected to the same testing as the players and coaches to be able to travel. So we're in this extended testing that you all are familiar with Hmm. that the NBA finally stopped about a week ago. And, And Nick was the latest one to get caught. And Everything was going along fine. Testing negative. Great. Got on the plane December 22nd. We played Orlando, did the game, tested negative, got to Philadelphia on the 23rd, did the test with everybody in the morning, thought nothing of it, got ready. We were flying home because the team was going on to New York to play the Christmas Day game. So we were leaving the team. We were flying home commercially on Christmas Eve. Thought nothing of it. Go right to the arena. Take the bus with the team. Bingo. We are in the arena. 6.15. My phone rings. And it's the PR guy from the Hawks, Garen Narain. And he says, uh, 
where are you? I said, well, I'm in the at Philly. We were upstairs. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm in the booth getting ready to go on. We got out of the air at 630. It's 615. He says, uh, uh, long pause. You tested positive. Huh. I said, you got to be kidding. Now, I did not have a symptom. Now, the next day, uh, and probably Christmas and maybe a day or two after, it felt like I had a head cold, but and maybe a little headache from time to time, but nothing, nothing, nothing at all. And I said, well, Garen, okay, I'm leaving the team because we're flying home commercially. Uh, I'll do the game and that'll be fine. He said, no, no. Uh, you got to come downstairs. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. My man. <laughs> 15. Yeah. If I leave, we got no telecast. Let's think about this. How about I go up to the hockey press box and all alone, I can do it up there because mm-hmm. in the hockey basketball buildings like Philadelphia, they're all wired to the visiting truck. Okay. So I said, well, I'll just go upstairs. And I, all I need is a headset and a monitor, and we're good. Now, Neek was already not with us. Brian mm-hmm. Oliver was filling in. So we had nobody in the studio other than Trevor Scales and Lauren Jabbar, our sideline reporter. That's it. I said, uh, let me just do it upstairs. Nope. You got to come down. I said, jeez, you got to be kidding me. So they're getting ready to go on the air. I got to call my producer and say, Jill, Go get them because I don't know what you're going to do. I offered to do the game outside at the truck in the freezing cold just so to get us through. And they said, no, you got to leave. So uh, I'm out of the building at 630. Thank you, NBA, if you're listening. Geez. Thank you. <laughs> so they throw me out, you know, like yesterday's trash. And the team – you know, they rounded up the bus driver and they said, take him back to the hotel. So mm-hmm. I go back to the hotel, seven o'clock, I'm back in my room. And I'm thinking, okay, tomorrow's Christmas Eve. I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I can't fly. You know, you're not supposed to do that if you test positive. So I got to drive back to Atlanta. First thing I better do is get me a car <laughs> that I could drop in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so the first rental car that I, I got, um, no cars to drop in Atlanta. And then finally I found one that did. I said, I'll be there shortly. And I changed out of my suit, put on the sweats, packed up, checked out, Ubered over to Philadelphia International, got to rent a car, and I was on the road by 8.30. Drove to Richmond. Uh, Zach Walsh, our travel guy, got me a room. Drove home the rest of the way the next day. Christmas Eve. Happy New Year, everybody. Here we come. Merry Christmas. And now I got a test negative to -hmm. get back. Ain't happening. I felt fine, and it killed me. I don't miss games. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was awful. But all of us went through it. We left. uh, Travis Schlenk, our GM, got it. He drove back from Chicago. Nate McMillan got it. He drove back from Cleveland. We left coaches on that two-week trip from Cleveland to Chicago to Portland to Los Angeles. Everybody got left behind. It went through our entire team. Everybody who traveled pretty much got it. Yeah. And it was just awful. And did that snap – that didn't snap some huge streak you had going, did it? No. 
No, well, I hadn't missed a game in 20 years. I know that. Uh, not since my mom and dad passed did I miss games. So that that's the first game you missed in 20 years? Yes, sir. So it did snap a big streak. Well, yeah, but I mean, I don't count the games like, you know, some other. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, I know I hadn't missed one since 2001 when my dad passed away. Oh. Yeah, I was pissed. I I was gonna say, is that as mad as you've because, ever been? Yeah, because there's, there's no there's no common sense to it. I said I can go to the hockey box. Ain't nobody up there. Who am I gonna infect? I need a headset and a monitor, and I'm good to go. Well, and then like just you said, to, just every, to save every, our broadcast. Now, if they'd have told me at noontime, we could have made you know arrangements. Yeah. You're already in the arena at that point. Well, so I came over on the <laughs> No, it was nice. But it was more it was more the damage the league did to our telecast. Yeah. You know, than anything. And they couldn't care less about that. That's what that's what angered me. I think we've seen throughout the league where whether it's players, coaches, or even broadcast crews, I think Memphis has had a had a similar situation uh-huh. where they had to move a bunch of people around to get broadcast going. It's pretty amazing how much work goes into keeping this entire production of NBA basketball afloat. And uh-huh. maybe these last two years kind of opened my eyes a bit more into everything that goes into it and not just the basics that we see on a nightly basis. You know, What would be, I think, a pretty good story that hasn't been written, hmm. and maybe somebody will by the time it's all said and done, is how many different people have broadcast NBA games this year, yeah. whether it's you know, radio and TV, play-by-play, color, and sideline. Because they're like in Memphis, Rob Fisher's done all three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's crazy, but you know, you do what you got to do to to keep the to keep the train running on time. Well, you, you mentioned Dominique was that, and I don't want to spend the whole time talking about about COVID because that's nobody wants to do that. But Dominique was gone for a few games, and you know, you and Dominique have been together for a long time. When he's not next to you, and you're calling a game, how how much does that impact impact you? Well, I, I think the the big thing is, do we have enough advance notice, you know, to uh, to plan for the replacement? Like, if I know it's going to be Renee or I know it's going to be Vince Carter or I know it's going to be Brian Oliver in advance, you know, then it's okay because we can plan and strategize and, and get ready. But um, it's the ones that happen like two hours before you go on. Like Miami, when they threw Neek out, uh, he got word in the morning. Well, it's too late to get anybody there. Mm-hmm. So I did the game solo. You know, Kelly Crowell is our sideline reporter. She was down the floor. I'm upstairs, and I had to do the whole thing, which was kind of fun, you know. Bob, what did you think of that play? Well, Bob, <laughs> uh, if they'd have set that screen a little higher. <laughs> um. So would you say – you know, knowing Dominique like you know him, would you say he's a pretty patient, patient individual? Is he a patient man? Yeah. Why? Because my Dominique story that I want to tell real quick is from when I was a kid. And he, unfortunately for Dominique, he came into the NBA just as I discovered that NBA players occasionally give their shoes to little kids. And I saw some, saw it happen to somebody, and Dominique was my fa- was my guy, my favorite player. He came in his rookie year from Georgia, and then landed on the Hawks, which was my team. So I'm like, I've got to get Dominique's shoes. I made it my life goal to get Dominique's shoes. 
And so it really wasn't happening in Indy much. <clears throat> we were going to spring break. My mom and my brother and sister and me were driving to Florida for spring break in 1985. And I got the wild idea that we were going to stop in Atlanta and see the Hawks play the Knicks. And Dominique was going to give me his shoes after that game. All right. So I had this girlfriend whose dad had all these NBA players phone numbers. I don't know what he, he was like an artist and he did paintings of them and would sell them to them or whatever. She steals Dominique's phone number and gives it to me. Says, here you go. You should call him. And I'm like, um, okay. So I remember this, like it was yesterday. I'm sitting on my waterbed, you know, it's like 1984. <laughs> totally, sit on my waterbed. I've got my phone in my hand and I'm just looking at the phone. I'm like, Oh, what am I really going to do this? So I pick up the phone. I dial Dominique's phone number. It's ringing. First of all, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I called him. But the, here's where the story gets really interesting because he answers the phone. He says, hello. I'm like, and I, I reminded myself of Ralphie from Christmas Story when he's on Santa's lap and he rattles off, you know, so fast what he wants for Christmas. And Santa's like, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And uh, I was like, Dominique, it's Steve from Indiana. I'm always asking you for your shoes. I'm coming to Atlanta to see the Knicks. And he's like, oh, he goes, uh, hey, man, I'm on the line with my mom on the other line, you know, call waiting back in the day. He's like, give me a call back in about 15 minutes. <laughs> so I hang the phone up. I'm shaking. I'm like, wait, he didn't hang up on me. So I called, I called Dominique back 15 minutes later. Tell him again what's going on. He doesn't really know who I am, but he's playing along with me. And he's like, all right, man. He's like, be in the, be in the parking garage at three o'clock or whatever at the Omni and, uh, and I'll hook you up. And I was like, okay, thanks. And I hang up the phone. And to this day, he has never said to me, how did you get my phone number? How did you have the guts to call me? And Dominique would not recognize me today because I was I look a lot different than I did back then. But I mean, what a crazy story, Bob. If I got that phone call, I would hang up immediately. I, I have my iPhone set up so that people can't call me unless I know them. Well, it doesn't surprise me because he is probably the most gracious superstar I've ever seen. He signs every autograph. He takes every picture. Uh, if there's a reason there's a statue out front because everybody loves this guy and they always have. Um, he's as big in this town. Probably Hank Aaron is the only one that will rival him. Um, I mean, he is beloved and it, every night at, at a home game, you know, it's a Dominic love fest. Everybody wants to come by and say hello. Everybody wants to take a picture. He signs a zillion autographs. He's so approachable. He, he is, um, he's just a great human being and it's fun to sit there and watch it every night. You know, nobody wants my autograph, but it's fun <laughs> that they all, you know, run over me to get to him. And uh, he's so great. He's so caring. And uh, he's just a, just a great human being. Well, yeah, and I, I just thought that you might appreciate that story because it's so but weird. Like, I don't try, think that would ever that, happen today. You still have that number? I got it right here. Yeah, we'll call it. <laughs> well, I think Strap and I are going to call it one day on, on the air. When we're, when, I don't want to call it right now. I'm, I'd be too scared, man. Um, all right, let's get back to, to what's going on here. Uh, you mentioned Bogey Bogdanovich. He made his return last night. looked amazing. Um do you think he's going to come off the bench the rest of the way? And 
is that that's another worry. sign of how deep the Hawks are. If Bogey yeah. is not going to start for this team, they must be pretty deep because he's he's a really good player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hard to say. You know, things change so fast. You know, one ankle turn and, you know, you're right back to scrambling. But it just seems to me, and with my amateur look at things, that this group, given their ages, experience, the success that they've had, this group functions better with Kevin Herter in the starting lineup. If he doesn't start, then who does and where? You kind of have to start Hunter, right, with his defense at the three. Uh, You know Collins is going to start. Capella's going to start. Trey's going to start. So that leaves that two-guard spot open. And what are we going to do there? You know, is it going to be Kevin? Is it going to be Bogey? You know, which way is Nate going to go? But I thought it was interesting after last night's game that Bogdanovich, when he was questioned about coming off the bench, and and you're right, uh, Steve, he had had a phenomenal game. Uh, He said, I don't care. I don't mind coming off the bench. If the coach wants me to start, that's fine. I want to win. And if that's his attitude, wow. Now you got DeLon, you got Lou, you got Gallo, you got Bogey, and you got a Kongwu. That's not too shabby. And you can play him, I think, as a unit and get away with it. You know, uh, some guys weaker defenders, some guys stronger defenders. But as a group, man, that's a lot of firepower. And uh, you saw that in that second quarter last night. Well, I'm sure every co- every NBA coach would love to hear that from a guy oh, like man. yeah. Oh, I don't care. Especially, I mean, Bogdanovich is no kid. You know, uh, he won uh, internationally uh, before he got to the to the NBA. Um, he got a taste of it last year, despite he was hurt. You know, and then got dinged up in Mo- in the Milwaukee series. So he's first time in his life he'd ever been in the playoffs, and. Yeah, he, he liked that feeling. So he wants to get back there. And I think you just you're getting a the sense of you know how the NBA season could be a slog. Well, you get to January, you start looking at the standings, right? And you say, Oh, mm, we got some getting to do here. And now they've caught fire and I think they, they like this feeling that they, they've got right now. They want to keep it going. You mentioned Lou. I'm sure you've seen a lot in your broadcasting career. Where would his dunk last night rank on like surprise biggest surprises, and how big of a spark was it for the team last night? Oh, it got us going. It yeah. got us going. Uh, and Gallo's reverse dunk. Mm-hmm. You know uh, where'd that come from? Uh, <laughs> but Lou, man, I haven't seen him take one to the hole like that since he was at South Gwinnett. I mean, <laughs> he looked like he was at the Brand Jordan Classic or something. I mean, it was it was great. But and then the best part though is the synergy between Lou and Akongwa. You know, uh, when Lou came last year, we didn't know that he was going to come and didn't know that he was not going to retire, you know, and just call it quits. But he came and the guys absolutely fell in love with him, just embraced him to the hilt. And I think he liked that. You know, he liked kind of being the Yoda in that locker room. And the one kid that really attached himself and he to him was Ludo Akangwu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could see it last night uh, when they fed each other and, 
you know, Lou's always going up to him and, and dropping knowledge and supporting him and reinforcing all the good things that he's doing. Lou's 36 years old and Yekka's 21 years old. And to see them form this bond on that second unit is, is a lot of fun. Pretty special. That's cool. So the, the all-star starters are announced this, this afternoon, probably uh-huh. after we're done here. Right. We all remember what happened last year. Trey Young did not make an all make the All Star team. Um, first of all, how did that happen? Do, do do guys just not like Trey on other teams? And and secondly, um, could could it possibly happen again this year? Or do you think he's he's a lock after what happened to him last year? Like to me, if Trey is not an All Star this year, then the whole system needs to be blown up and started yeah, over. No, I I don't think you have to have a worry. He'll be <laughs> on the all-star team. And he's probably going to get voted in as a starter. So I don't think you have to really don't have to worry. I, last year was a coach's vote, as you know, uh, for the reserves because he didn't have the votes. And I don't think any malice or forethought, but I just think if you got to remember now, the timetable was so screwed up last year mm-hmm. with a Christmas start. We, we were losing. I mean, we were 14 and 20 when we made the coaching change. And so I think a lot of um, decisions, if, if, you, if you put it that way, coaches tend to look at who's winning. Yeah. And, and we weren't winning. And so I, I got the feeling that I don't know this. I never asked the coaches, but the head coaches kind of, you know what? If all things are even, we'll give it to the guys that are winning. So I thought that's kind of where it more came from than than any kind of, you know, the players don't like Trey. I don't think that was it at all. I mean, if there has ever been a player who was born to play in an all-star game and that ridiculous <laughs> format, it is Trey Young. Good Lord. So for the showmanship aspect of it, I think he's just going to be – he'll soak it up and eat it up. I, he wants to get in the three-point contest. So we'll see if he can – if they invite him to do that, but no, I think he is an absolute lock. I mean, come on. He's where, I mean, I didn't look at the numbers this morning. Was he fifth in scoring and second in assists or something like that? Um, he's the only guy in the league to do that. So yeah, he's a lock. Well, I hope so. Cause he, I think he was pretty, yeah, pretty bummed out about it last year. So. Voted in, so you don't have to worry. Um, I, I have a different kind of question for you here. Um, I want you to try to interpret this for me since you're an NBA insider. Oh, yeah, right. right. <laughs> so Tobias Harris plays for the Sixers. Yes, he does. And the the Sixers press – not that the, – the guys, the people that cover the Sixers tweeted out today that Tobias Harris missed shoot-around for a non-COVID illness this morning. Right. But it will not impact his status for tonight's game. So he was too sick to go to shoot around, but they're certain that he's going to be well enough to play tonight. Like what if his illness gets worse? Like, do you think there's something else going on that he missed shoot around for something else? Or he just didn't, didn't feel good. He probably woke up with, you know, upset stomach or, you know, wasn't feeling great. And he's a vet doc understands. <laughs> I, I just think that uh, way too much is made of, you know, like, for example, like two guys are yelling at each other in the huddle at a timeout. And you would think that, oh, my God, 
There was a disagreement between them. (laughs) They were actually yelling at one another. Mm -hmm. If people only knew what goes on behind the scenes in the locker room, that's on the bench in the locker room. Oh, it happens all the time. It's just no big deal. So I would put that into the category of it's no big deal. I don't think there's the only time you got to wonder is that as you approach the trade deadline, if they yank somebody uh, for a game, yeah. they should be playing. Then you know something's up, that the, the trade is on the horizon. But other than that, no. I in People aren't allowed to get sick anymore. You know, mm-hmm. either it's COVID or, you know, it's something else. And, you know, it's like, guys, it's a middle of January. It's 40 below zero. It's snowing. They're getting ready to have a nor'easter. <laughs> the weather's crappy. Everybody's got the sniffles and sick and doesn't feel good. And so it. But the 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 this instantaneous Twitter is just like, oh my god, you know? It's terrible. Yeah, I cannot. <laughs> I can't stand Twitter. Yeah, it's a real stressful. <laughs> it really. I is. live on it. Um, Roth, you got a, you got another one. Um, yeah, I was actually going to ask about the All Star process. Um, I know a few years back they changed the voting in terms of positions, where it's like perimeter and then front court players. Mm-hmm. Do you think they should just do away with positions, period, or no? And also, should they expand the rosters to maybe 15 per team? I I do think they should expand the rosters because we've gone through expansion and we have yeah. mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, what the number is, I don't know. I think it's still 12. Uh, but, yes, but uh, here's what the, they need to evolve just like the game has evolved. Take a point mm-hmm. guard, take two wings and two bigs, however you want to divide it up and make it a little bit more representative of how the game is played now, you know, or maybe a point guard, three wings and a big, but, you know, reward the guys that are doing well. What ticks me off about all-star is these guys so desperately want to be on the all-star team. And that's out. That's great. That's great. Then they get to the game and they make it an absolute travesty. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait a minute. You you want the designation of being an all-star, and then you go out there and make a mockery of the game. I don't get that. Play the game like you have, like you Doc, you and I are old enough to know when East West meant something. You wanted to knock off the guys in the other conference. And I think that's good because people want to see competition. They don't want to see, you know, 188 to 185. The best thing they ever did a couple of years ago is institute the Elam ending. Yes, sir. Yep, I mean, you've got guys taking charges in the fourth quarter of an NBA All-Star <laughs> game. It's great. But that's what people want to see. They want to see the best of the best compete. They don't want to see the best of the best, you know, throwing mid-court lobs. Uh, with nobody back. That's not what they want to see. And the ratings reflect it. Mm-hmm. All right. This is going to be the last one. It's a three, it's a three parter. Who was your favorite player to watch or yeah. Who was your favorite player when you were, when you were younger, before you were doing this, um, who are some of your favorite players on other teams right now? Like you get excited when player a comes to town 
because you want to watch them watch them play. Like somebody, a couple of guys you you really like today. And then lastly, do you have a story? It can be anonymous, but do you have a, <laughs> a, a funny story or a cool story about a visiting NBA player that got taken advantage of by the Atlanta nightlife? Yeah. Uh, before a big game. Well, I can those are, those are my final question. Where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, we call it the Buckhead flu around uh, the arena. Uh, the, the list is, is too long and we've got our eye this weekend on your Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> they have to play. They play in Charlotte Friday night. They got back to back. They come to Atlanta. So they'll be here pretty early Friday night. And they're here Saturday night. And it's a one o'clock game Sunday. I mean, this is like, unless our guys are holding the door open for the Lakers at the club, we should have a pretty good home court advantage on Sunday. <laughs> they're old. They've been out partying all night. I like our chances. Now, for you may not know this, doctor. I think you do. Talking about favorite players. Well, the guy who's sitting next to me every night is right at the top of the list. I'll tell you why. Because I grew up, as you may, as you may know, in North Carolina and, and started out calling high school and small college basketball from the time I was a sophomore in college. And the high school team that I did, Salisbury High School, made it to the state tournament one year. And we, lo and behold, play a team called Washington, North Carolina, the Pam Pack of Washington High School, featuring Dominique Wilkins. So I had a chance to broadcast Neek as a high school player, his junior year in high school. Fast forward a few years, I get assigned to do an NIT broadcast. Old Dominion at Georgia. Georgia. And it's Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> and then... As I got into the NBA later on, uh, he was at the end of his playing career, but I got to do he and his brother together in Orlando. And then he's been my partner here the last 11, 12 years on the Hawks telecast. So that's an easy one, Doc, to uh, to answer. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. And I, one of the things that hurts me, I think, the most, other than him like getting snubbed on the 50 greatest, and as time goes on, as the generations don't forget about the history of the game, uh, people don't don't really remember how hard he played. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he brought it every night. And there aren't many guys today that bring it every night, like he used to bring it every night. You know, when he retired, he was the seventh leading scorer in the history of the NBA without, you know, this three-point barrage like we see today. So um, his stats really did mean something when – you know, I, I look at guys that eclipse these statistical measures of, you know, 15,000 points, 20,000 points, 25,000 points, and that's all well and good. But I do think fans need to take a look at the years played column. <laughs> How many years did it take you to get to 25,000 points? How many years did it take you to get to 20,000 points? And compare that to Mr. Wilkins and see what you come up with. Um, it, it, he's in a different level. Than, than most guys that I like to see come in, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's one of the fun parts I think for me in covering the NBA It's like, I don't really circle a guy or two, but what I do love is that you get a chance to see everybody come through. <laughs> and so I'm, 
excited to see like Sacramento. And you would say, Bob, why is that? Why do you want to look at Sacramento? Because I want to know why do these guys stink? <laughs> they, they, they have all this young talent, mm -hmm. but they do not know how to win. Yeah, I was talking with Alvin Gentry before the game last night. And because he doesn't hold back, you know, he, he's won more games as an interim head coach, I think, than anybody in the history of the NBA. He's done it so often. But he was like, we got to figure out who do we keep? Who do we move? What are we going to do? Because he said they've had, I think he's the seventh coach they've had in 13 years. You might check me on my math there. But I think, I mean, come on, that's a new coach every other yeah. year. And it's the same thing. They missed the playoffs 15 straight years. So it can't be the coach all the time, mm -hmm. you know? So what's going on with these players? I want to see Davion Mitchell, you know, his first quarter last night was terrific. Yeah. And then yeah. you know, the drop off. So to answer your question, I mean, I've obviously, I want to see all the greats, but I, I'm not broadcasting it from a network perspective. So I want to beat these guys. So I'm not real fired up to see, you know, Tatum and Brown tomorrow night. I'm not real fired up to see LeBron. You know, I want to beat LeBron. That's what I want to do. Oh, that's good. That's a good answer. Another thing I had written down that we didn't get to, but since you brought up the Kings and, and you having to sit through that last night and watch that, which was good because the Hawks destroyed them in the second half, but I, it still kind of blows my mind. And I know at the time, maybe it made sense on paper, but the fact that they could have drafted Trey Young or Luka Doncic, and they drafted Marvin Bagley, who they weren't even playing at the start of the season. They were done with him. I, uh, and I, I know the Hawks have the Hawks have made mistakes in the past too. You know, Chris Paul is still out there getting it done, and we took Marvin Williams. But it just it, yeah. mistakes like that will damage your franchise for for a decade. Yeah, it's it's hard to swing and miss when you get those top five picks. I mean, it's it's a killer. And uh, as my old high school baseball coach used to say, if you knew where you're going to die, you'd never go near the place. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you knew how these drafts are going to turn out, you'd never make a mistake. But the the one thing about it is nobody bats a thousand, no matter who they are. Nobody bats a thousand drafting kids like they do mm -hmm. today. So it's a futures market, and you you. You got to get lucky, you know, look at the last couple of MVPs. They didn't even come from this country. So, you know, you've got to, you got to draft well, but I'll tell you guys, you've got to develop well. You've got to, you've got to turn John Collins, who is a non-shooter at Wake Forest, non-shooter into a 40% three-point shooter in the NBA in year four. So player development, I think is just a big a part as it is drafting. I really do. And it's, uh, you got to know what you're doing, you know? And I look at like last night, I look at that Sacramento, they're good kids. They try hard. They, they have no concept of what it takes to win at this level. They have no concept of what it is to play for each other and be a team and, you know, all the things that go into it. And, um, you know, the constant flux in the front office and on the coaching staff. I mean, these kids are like zombies when they yeah. walked into the arena last night. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The NFL playoffs are here, and NBC Sports Edge Plus is giving you a special offer. Get 15% off an Edge Plus annual subscription throughout the playoffs when you use promo code PLAYOFF15. Get every tool for every game at one low price. It's easier than ever to play and wager with confidence when you have NBC Sports Edge Plus. I was supposed to do that a lot earlier in the show, but Tom <laughs> had me so enthralled in what he was saying, I just totally missed it, so... Sure, I'll get yelled at for that later. Okay. Well, Bob, it's Thank been great having you on again. I love uh, love having you on, and uh, we've been buddies now for probably 15 years, and it's it's awesome. So That's thank great, you for man. coming on. Roth, thanks for being here. Hope you guys have a great weekend. And, uh, Bob, thank you for predicting the future about the Buckhead flu ripping through the Lakers organization this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I can circle it. It might get the Celtics. Friday. The only time the Buckhead flu pays off is when you're good. Mm-hmm. You know, if the Hawks are winning 13 games, Buckhead flu yeah. is no factor. But <laughs> when you're good, keep an eye on the Celtics and the Lakers, especially <laughs> especially the teams who only come through from yeah. the West one once down. a year. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave it at that. Awesome. All right. Well, Ralph and I'll see you all next Thursday. I will see you all tomorrow, and maybe we'll have Bob on again for a Hawks playoff edition uh, in a in a month or two, a couple months. I love it. I'd be happy to. It's great to be with you guys. Have a good weekend, guys. And thanks for all you do too for us junkies. Uh, We we uh, are on the website all the time. Well, awesome. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Good to hear. All right. Bye bye. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.